Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of Internal Budget. If you like the podcast, make sure to like the podcast, share the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast, as well as donate on Patreon if you're so inclined. My guest today is an Ottawa sports coverage legend. He is the host of The Drive on TSN 1200, and he has been everywhere around the world and back, but we'll get to all that. Folks, please welcome the legendary, the local celebrity, Ian Mendez. Okay, Ian Mendez, I'm thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, listen, Brandon, my uh, my pleasure. I'll be I'll be honest with you. It, it'd be pretty hard for me to come up with an excuse, wouldn't it be, that uh, I'm too busy or I don't yeah. have time to join uh, <laughs> join your podcast? Well, like, you're still tremendously busy, I'm sure. Um, obviously, hosting the radio show on TSN 1200, and just you know the the reality of having two kids at home now all the time so i'm sure you're still uh i'm still sure you're still pretty busy uh ian i'm i know most of our base is obviously very familiar with you um you are somewhat of a legend throughout the senators coverage in ottawa uh but for those of you who maybe aren't uh as in tune with things why don't you give everybody a brief rundown of where you've been and uh, how you ended up at tsn oh wow the, the full thing eh? <laughs> Full life story. Well, you know what? And, and this is uh, somewhat not, not embarrassing, but like, so people who don't realize I, I was actually born in Toronto. Like people might not realize I was born uh, in Mississauga at oh, okay. uh, Mississauga General Hospital. <clears throat> so um, that technically is where, you know, uh, if I had to list where I was born, that would be it. But, uh, you know, I had a family. We bounced around all over the place with my dad's job. So we lived in Michigan. We lived in Toronto. We lived uh, in Vancouver. And that's where I went to high school. But when I was in high school in Vancouver, that's when I really kind of had the uh, journalism bug bite me. Uh, and so that's when I decided to come out to Carleton in uh, uh, in 1994. Uh, so, my God, it's been 20. <laughs> See, this is when I start to, as I start to say this out loud, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been in Ottawa for 26 years. But, um, you know, came out here to do the journalism school program and loved it, fell in love with the city uh, and then just ended up bouncing around, getting a job um, in, in the media relations department of the senators. Uh, believe it or not, uh, back in the day. And then midway through that season, switched to a job at Sportsnet. So I went from the PR department of the Senators to uh, covering the team in the middle of a season and then spent, you know, 12 years uh, loving life in, uh, in, in that capacity, doing the TV job, uh, got to travel with the Senators, got to go all over the world. But, you know, having, having two kids makes it uh, really hard to do the old balancing act, which is... Uh, trying to, to be a dad and be a husband while also being, you know, being a sports reporter. So had an opportunity in the summer of uh, 2013 to jump ship uh, and, and, and go from uh, Sportsnet to, to TSN radio and, and, and did it without any regrets. Cause I, um, you know, really fortunate to look back in the rearview mirror and think uh, it's been sa- almost seven years and think that I've had an opportunity to uh, really be there for my kids and be there for my family. So it's, uh, it's been a great transition and uh, I've, I've really, uh, you know, really love the uh, the talk radio side of things. 
I'm surprised there was no mention of Lenny the Lynx there. See, I left that out <laughs> because <laughs> I did have a job as the uh, before I got a job in the senator's PR department. I had a job with the Ottawa Lynx uh, media relations department, and like the crazy thing about that job is like when you work in the uh, you, I think my title was media relations assistant or assistant. Uh, this is gonna sound like Dwight Schrute, like one of those assistant <laughs> to the assistant to the uh, media relations director or whatever. But like we had to do everything, so that included like when it started to rain uh, during the day, and they we'd get a you know a call through the office system. Okay, everyone get outside, and you got to pull the tarp, and you know we'd run and we'd pull we'd pull the tarp over the field, and we'd be writing press releases, and we'd be doing like everything you would possibly do, and it was a great job, and that included. Uh, a couple of occasions uh, having to suit up in a giant cat costume and uh, and be, be Lenny the Lynx, uh, including one time at a Santa Claus parade, too. So I, I leave that off my resume. But in a pinch, if, I, if I'm ever I always say to myself, if I'm ever in a job interview again down the road and the employer asks the question, can you talk about. Uh, you know, are you willing to be flexible? I'm like, <laughs> I got that story right in the holster. I'm like, let me tell you about the time I was a giant cat. Uh, that'll tell you how flexible I, that I'm uh, that I'm a team player. That would be something for the LinkedIn page for sure. Yeah. Your story is pretty incredible. Just, you know, everywhere you've been, you got smoked with a baseball before going live at the 2012 World Series. Uh, I saw a video of you falling off a chair on Sportsnet uh, on, on YouTube. Um, that, I, I, I got to say, like, just um, to have a guy who's had so much experience all over the world and doing, you know, throughout the world of sports is, I think it's really great for uh, coverage of the Senators in Ottawa. Um, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a disparity in quality, I would say, with local media. But I mean, that's one thing I love about, you know, being a Senators fan and following them is you guys are, you guys are incredible over at TSN. You do such a great job. And uh, yeah, I got to ask about the baseball thing. How did you manage that? How did you manage? Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Ian was um, reporting on the 2012 World Series. And uh, right before he was about to do a live hit for Sportsnet, he got hit in the back, I think it was, by a foul ball and uh, just played it off like a champ and went right into his uh, TV hit. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's the craziest thing because like the timing of that, had it happened 10 seconds earlier or 10 seconds later would have been, I mean, I guess maybe 10 seconds later would have been even more epic while I was on the air. But like literally, you know, and, and the way for people who don't realize how television works, uh, you know, you got kind of a hidden earpiece inside the, inside your ear. And so when you're on the air, they'll be like, okay, uh, you're up in, and I probably would have been with, uh, I don't know if it was Jamie Campbell that I was doing that hit with or with, uh, uh, with Ken Reed, but uh, you know, basically, you know, it's in your earpiece and the producers counting you down. Okay. Uh, and you can hear the programming. They're like, okay, you're up in 20, you're up in 50. Well, literally when it was like, they gave me the 10 count, this ball comes out of nowhere and actually hit me in the, so you know, your ankle, you have that like, like bone that, this is where my <laughs> lack of medical uh, background is going to really play out. You know that <laughs> ankle bone, but like literally there's that bone that kind of sticks out of your ankle. Well, that, the ball hit me and it just, I feel like maybe if I had seen it coming, maybe I could have prepared it. But, but I mean, it felt like somebody just took a hammer and, whack hit me on the ankle bone like like almost like when you get it hit um you know if you hit your stub your toe or hit your foot on something like it hurts more than it should like but then also add in the surprise factor and then yeah. add in fold in the uh here you go you're going live in like five seconds it was like oh my god like i i have no choice here like i have no choice but what was funny was so i wrapped up the hit and then in my ear they're all laughing back in toronto at the um 
you know, control booth and 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 everything back in in Toronto. And so I wrap up the hit, and then my phone rings two minutes later, and it's you know one of the producers back there, and they're like, "Listen, we caught the whole thing <laughs> on on video. We just want your permission, if it's cool with you. If you're not comfortable putting this out there, we won't put it out there. But we think it's going to be fun, and uh, you know, we'll get some traction." I'm like, "Yeah, for sure. As long as I, you know, well." I'm, look a little bit like an idiot but at the same time uh yeah you know it looked pretty good so i was like yeah for sure put it out there and it's funny because uh it got like it's got a crazy number it's like two million hits on uh youtube so i always try and like you know that's the only way i can try to get some uh, cred with my kids is that you know look i your dad's got uh, a two million uh, you know a youtube uh, link with two million hits on it uh with me front and center but it, it was it was a great moment a weird thing how like kind of like the stars all aligned right for that exact moment like i said that ball hits me 15 10 15 seconds earlier uh you know it'd be no problem with shaking it off without it even being uh being a factor but i still don't know till this day like where like where on earth that ball came from like did somebody throw it although if somebody threw it at me on purpose like you know to have some fun i feel like they would have come over and been like ah ha ha we got you but must have just been an errant ball from Either somebody from Detroit or San Francisco that uh, that hit me uh, hit me with the ball. It was moving, so it had to be off a bat because it came at you hard, and I couldn't right. believe. Yeah, yeah. Like, I couldn't believe yeah. watching it how how well you just shook it off and just because if they had cut it off right when your uh, right when your hit started, you would never have known that you just got smoked with a foul ball, right? Like, right. <laughs> so that that's yeah. the. And cool. the funny thing too is like I'm like the softest guy you're ever gonna meet, like capital S. <laughs> soft like i've never like in my life i've never and people laugh at this i've never broken a bone in my life i've never you know had you know touch wood a serious a, a, you know knee injury or anything i've never had anything happen to me that like would require me to go through a serious amount of kind of like physical rehab or pain uh and yet i'm known for being the tough guy that sucked up with a baseball <laughs> so um there's there's kind of a lot of people in the hockey media or and just sports media in general that have gone back and forth between different networks. Talk to me about what the transition from Sportsnet to TSN was like. Uh, did you notice any kind of differences in philosophy or what what were some of the things that stuck out to you right away when you, as you said, uh, jump ship to TSN? Yeah, like you know what, and you're right. There there's a few that have done the the kind of the shift, like Darren Dreger. Like people forget, like Darren Dreger was. When I was at Sportsnet, Dregs was over there. Uh, Ray Ferraro was on Sportsnet for a long, long time uh, and moved along. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of people that have done it. Uh, my jump was a little bit different, only that, you know, TSN radio and TSN TV, they, they intermingle, but not as much uh, as you think. Um, so, but, you know, it's, it's funny, like the, the philosophies are very similar in terms of like literally one, you, you get one company's, all the letterhead, all the, stuff you get is red and that's with Rogers and, and with, with Bell, you get all blue, like everything is blue. And really that's the only major difference. Like it's, it's really uh, like I had such a great time. Like I, it did on some levels break my heart to leave uh, Rogers and leave Sportsnet. Cause I, I loved working with um, all the people over there. Like I had, you know, I feel like friends for life over there, but um, the, you know, the, the transition was just, I, they couldn't offer me what, uh, TSN radio was offering me, which was simply an, an opportunity to not travel. Like mm-hmm. I was 150, uh, 150 days ballpark a year. Good God. Um, by the end of it at, 
at Sportsnet. You know, if you think about that, 150 days of the year is about five months. You know, obviously not all at once, but, you know, sprinkled through 12 months. That's, man, that's a lot of time. So that was the big change for me is the ability to, to, to move from a, a job that I was like literally, I never, I had a suitcase in my room that never left my my bedroom it was like kind of always there and you know my wife I think was really frustrated every time she'd come into our room she'd see the suitcase and it was kind of a reminder that uh you know he's he's going to Pittsburgh next week or he might be going to Buffalo or he might be going like you know a, a trip was always on the horizon and I think when, when you make the switch to this um I've literally slept in my bed every single night for seven years uh with the exception of I think I've for TSN radio, I've gone to cover a couple of drafts and that's about it. I think and a couple of playoff games, but you know, that's it. Like, so that was the biggest uh, change for me. But in terms of like philosophy, I think Sportsnet is still a little bit, a uh, little bit more relaxed, a little bit more, um, not, not uh, casual, but you know, TSN, I think there's a little bit more seriousness to it and, and not in a bad way, but in a good way. Like I think, like I think when people think of, uh, trade deadline day in July for like, where do you want to go to get your coverage? I think still most people are like, I need to see with, with Bob McKenzie, Darren Dreger, Pierre LeBron, James Duffy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and this kind of, um, just to follow up on that point you made earlier about, uh, being fortunate to, to have the coverage level of coverage you have with Ottawa. I, I really think it's remarkable that on a fairly regular basis, we get some combination of on the television side, uh, Chris Cuthbert, Gord Miller calling, what 80 90 percent of our games that it's so, incredible it is incredible and, and then you get ray ferraro doing games and you get mike johnson doing games and you get jamie mcclennan doing games and you're like man that like we're really lucky and i know that there's an argument to be made that it, it to have the same pair of uh of broadcasters do the games um there there's a there's a value to that right like like people love their local broadcasters being the same but yeah I think TSN makes a great argument for what if there was just national level of coverage for a local team? And I feel like that's mm -hmm. what we're getting from, from TSN on the TV side of things. And I think if you ask most people, would you rather have the same crew calling uh, you know, the game from the booth uh, or would you rather have this setup when you have access to Cuthbert and Gord and Ray and uh, Noodles and these guys? Like, I think most people would take the latter. For sure. I definitely would. I'm a sucker for great play-by-play. -play. It's, you know, yeah. it's a little, just a little thing with me and having, hearing Chris Cuthbert and, you know, Gord Miller uh, for most of the year is just, it's just incredible stuff. And Brian Modrick does a great job too when he's on as well. Um, so in both places that you've been, Sportsnet and TSN, you've found yourself working pretty closely with the Senators, I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, I remember when I was actually really young, uh, I became a fan around uh, the 2007 year. Um, I was I was about eight years old, and I remember you know I would just spend all day on the computer looking up uh, stuff on the Senators website, looking up videos and stuff. And uh, and Mike Fisher was my favorite player, and I remember uh, the feature you did on him. I think it was called Overtime. If I'm oh not yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So um so uh, was that through like an affiliation with Sportsnet? Those videos you ended up doing for the site, or was that uh, just strictly for the Senators? I don't know if I'm making sense there, but uh, yeah no yeah. no no for sure. Like because you know what's funny is that in in all my years covering the team basically from you know the the time i've been at sports and then moving over to tsn radio i've never covered the team at a time where uh the entity the network or you know station i was working for wasn't a rights holder 
And right. so, you know, there's, you know, good and bad. We can get into that later. But um, so I've always had that sort of um, umbrella, been underneath that umbrella of a, of a partnership and a, and a local broadcasting uh, partnership. But no, the over, so the <laughs> overtime show, which, I, you know what, truth be told, I love doing that show. Like, it was so much fun. Uh, it was through basically through Sportsnet and like the whole show was produced uh, here in Ottawa by Rogers TV, uh, but it would air on Sportsnet East. And I think, you know, the senators would uh, take some of the content and, and, and do it. And it was just a ton of fun, like to to be able to do that show uh, on a weekly basis. It really wasn't a lot of uh, of my time, like to actually shoot the little things. It usually took me about 40 minutes Um at uh, at the rink to uh, to do it and uh, you know then we got to do some fun features with you know with, with guys like Mike Fisher and um, it, it was fun it was a ton of fun uh, being able to do that stuff and it was nice because it was it was for you know Rogers locally would air the show produce the show edit it all that but then they took the package and they would flip it over to Sportsnet and uh, it would air on Sportsnet East um, you know once or twice a week or just leading into Senators games uh, they would air it and it was a really nice. A little 30-minute show where all we did was fun, feature-related things on uh, on the team and the players. That's so cool. You've uh, you've also been able to be around the team through, I guess, some of the more successful seasons, right? Like you were around the team for the 07 season and yeah. uh, for the Hamburglar run, and uh, obviously the 2017 season most recently. Which one of those was the most fun to cover, or maybe it was the 03 team? Even like for you, um, which one was the most fun for you? You know, I as I look back on it, and I was really, yeah, I'm really fortunate to have started covering this team since 2002, uh, basically, and I've been there for all those runs. Uh, I look back with the most fondness. My favorite moment was being in Buffalo that afternoon in May of 2007 when Alfie put them into the cup because, <laughs> you know, I had an opportunity to, you know, when I worked in the media relations department there, um, to get to know, obviously, a guy like uh, Daniel Alfredson first from that perspective. And then, then you know, you start to cover these guys. Uh, you start to, uh, and this goes for not only players who play for the Senators, but throughout the league. I tend now to, when people ask me, like, hey, who's your favorite team? I'm like, I don't really, in the NHL, cheer for teams. I cheer for players. Like, I, mm. you get to know players and you get to get uh, happy and excited for them. And sometimes they play for Ottawa and sometimes they don't. But obviously, you have more contact with uh, guys who play in Ottawa. And that moment that Alfie put the puck in the net in Buffalo, it just, that's the the happiest I've, I think I've ever felt for an athlete being in the stadium because I knew what he went through in this market. It was a year earlier, right? Where Pominville walked him and uh, yeah. people were saying, you can't win with this guy. And uh, for him to do it in the same spot against the same team, uh, basically a year later, like a, a game five, uh, albeit a round later, but you know, game five against Buffalo to do it there. And put them in, and, and the first two guys I think that that go to jump on them were were uh, Jason Spezza and Danny Heatley in that corner, yep. and just it was like the coolest thing. And I, I always think back so fondly to those teams. And and you're right, you know, for all of uh, the raging tire fire that's been around this team uh, <laughs> the last couple of years, it's a good way of putting uh, it. We've had some really great moments here, uh, going to the Cup in '07, uh, Hamburglar run, uh, the Pesky Sands and Paul McLean in that mm-hmm. Hab series. 2017 heck even 2003 um you know you look back and it was so heartbreaking not but now you look back with such a a degree of fondness for that team and think like that might have been the best Ottawa team of all times yeah they have been really fortunate and i've me personally been super fortunate that way yeah sorry you cut out for a second there i didn't mean to interrupt you um but uh 
<laughs> but yeah, it's funny that you brought up the uh, the Buffalo game because at Silver Seven last night we actually did a rewatch of that game, and uh, you know I was fortunate enough to be able to rewatch the game. Um, it's the first time I've re- watched the entire game in full since I was eight years old, right? So, so I went back and I watched it and I wrote the recap of it as if it were happening in real time. And man, it it just it does some it does something to you on that kind of emotional level, right? Um, I said. Uh, I was talking with a couple friends on Twitter last night and uh, my story of how I lived that game, I became a Sens fan in January of that year when my dad came home from a Senators game and brought me a copy of the Score magazine and uh, I started flipping through it and I just for whatever reason I was hooked immediately. And uh, I got home from a friend's birthday party that day because it was an afternoon game. Right. And uh, I got home I think just about halfway through the third because it was a Finneganoff scored right after I got home. And uh, I was in front of the TV watching and I was standing the whole time. My little eight-year-old me just never sat down. And, uh, you know, it went into overtime and Alfredson scored and I just obviously freaked out, right? Like, uh, so just reminiscing on that was, was, was so cool. Um, you, you brought up the fact that, uh, well, well, before we get into that, um, I guess we should kind of address everything that's going on right now um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And yeah what a crazy world we're living in right now. And, you know, it's just such a surreal feeling. I've said this probably 50 times now in the last few episodes, but it almost, you know, you wake up every day and this doesn't even feel real. What's it like for you, someone whose livelihood it is to cover sports? Um, You know, you wake up every day and you're thinking about, you know, sports and what you're going to talk about and how you're going to, and you know, how you're going to cover things. So what's it been like for you for all these sports to just be gone? Well, I'll tell you, it, uh, it's a great reminder. If you ever needed a reminder that, that um, sports is really weird, right? Like it simultaneously means nothing and it means everything. It's yeah. so strange, right? Like, like right now we would be killing to talk about uh, the, the regular season should have wrapped up yesterday. And we would, uh, you know, you guys at Silver 7 and us at TSN 1200, like we would all be putting out our postseason. Like, yeah, this guy was the team MVP. And what do you mm-hmm. think of the draft lottery? And like, it would be that time. And I think we'd be all dying for that. And at the same time, we also realized like, man, that stuff's so pointless, right? Like it's simul- yeah. it's so weird how it's simultaneously pointless and yet so important um, at the same time. And so uh, it, it has been a challenge for sure. Um, I've never, and I've done now what, about three weeks ballpark uh, uh, yeah. doing a four hour talk show with no sports. And I got to tell you, I've, ha- I've had not had one single day where I've woken up and thought, man, what am I going to talk about today i've been really fortunate i took about five hours uh when this all that first weekend that this all kind of came down i said i'm gonna do five hours worth of work and i'm gonna just come up with a master list of a gazillion topics and a gazillion things and i've been adding to it uh, in the meantime and it's been really good and it's it's been silly stuff and i think there's an important element here and I, again i don't know listen i could roll into work tomorrow and they could bell media could say listen we just uh, we don't have the advertisers there's no sports going on we're shutting you down and I, how can i complain right i've i've watched uh, people who work in in a variety of uh, sectors uh, see their jobs be put on pause so i'm i'm no different i'm no special i don't deserve any uh, special treatment but the one thing i've realized too is that we can offer a distraction to people that if you turn on, uh, you know, the radio right now uh, and you listen in Ottawa, if you're listening to CFRA or, you know, Toronto, if you listen to 1010 or whatever, uh, it's all COVID-19 talk. Like you can't escape it and you flip on your TV, (laughs) you can't escape it. The one thing I feel like I can provide 
is a little bit of an escape and a little bit of a distraction. And I think it's funny, it, you know, the one thing I, I'll say is I came into this whole thing saying to myself, I really feel like uh, I'm going to provide a distraction for people and this is going to be great. And I'm going to, the one thing I've realized after doing this for about three weeks, it's actually been a great distraction for me. I get to plan out something and have structure to my day. And I'm very aware that uh, there's tens of thousands of people in this province um, who have had their routines disrupted that don't have that distraction, that don't have the ability uh, to do their work and certainly don't have the ability to get uh, paid and all that stuff. So I feel really, really fortunate in a weird way. I feel so fortunate uh, to be able to do what I'm doing. But at the same time, I know that uh, nothing is off the table. And if I go into work tomorrow and they're like, hey, listen, we're we're, we're put, pressing pause on TSN radio. I, I mean, how can you how can you really argue with that? So it's yeah. uh, it's it's been really humbling. And I'm trying my best to uh, keep every single time I come on the air. It's all positive. It's all uplifting. And there's no uh, kind of doom and gloom talk um, uh, pertaining to the uh, the COVID-19 situation. Yeah, it, it's so easy to fall into that trap of feeling sorry for yourself. Um, yeah, just to lose perspective on things. I know I, I know I've been guilty of that. We were talking before the show, you know, I, I'm obviously separated from my family, them being four hours away from me and me not wanting to go home and risk getting them sick. So it's definitely been challenging. And like you said, just having those daily routines, you know, you know, just uh, interrupted and even for us, we've watched a, a senator's fan, uh, or sorry, a senator's team over the past few years that has just been horrible to watch a lot of the time. Right. right. Um, there's been a lot of fans that have been just like, God, let this let this season end, you know, and uh, and nobody's nobody's saying that now. So again, um, it's really easy to just kind of fall into that trap of losing perspective. And I remember when that first night happened. Um, with the LA game and when everything started to get canceled in the NBA and then subsequently in the NHL, it was this really scary, weird feeling. It just felt like this dark cloud was kind of hanging over all of us and we had no idea what to expect. Like even just being on social media, the anxiety was palpable. It was, it was awful. Uh, I, it's something that I've said, I've said this 50 times, but it's, it's something that I, I will never forget, but that I never cared to experience again. So yeah. And but one of my first thoughts was, you know, what what can I do? Um, I, I felt like I wanted to do something that could help. So for me, you know, obviously I am not, you know, I don't work for um, a, a big broadcasting company. I don't have any kind of major audience, but I, I knew what I could do was I could write for Silver 7 and I could do the podcast and I could just try to even bring a little bit of levity to some people, keeping them informed, obviously telling people to stay home because that's really important but I wanted to just even if I could provide a little bit of a distraction I wanted to do it so so I definitely hear where you're coming from there um how have you kind of balanced things uh just personally you, you know being still working still going into work every day uh someone like yourself being so dialed in that you can't you mentioned you can't escape from this news and I'm sure that goes double for you right just working for a media company you're just bombarded with this stuff constantly so how have you kind of balanced that um you know any kind of anxieties you may be feeling um with going home to the family every day and you know obviously your kids aren't in school um, I don't know if your wife is still working or anything like that but um how how, has, how have you kind of managed to juggle all those things at once yeah, it's it's hard, and you know it's um it's it's amazing how 
Uh, I think as a parent, this is the first time I've ever dealt with this, and I'm sure uh, your parents would be in this boat. Everybody's yeah. parents would be in this boat. It's the first time as parents we don't have answers for our kids. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I feel like at any other point in time, uh, we've you know you've had answers. Like even if we knew that, hey, listen, don't worry. September uh, Labor Day weekend, everyone's going back to school and. Hockey's coming back and your your minor hockey's coming back and you're gonna be able to play youth sports again. Like if we could tell them that, then we would all feel a little bit better. But guess what? We can't because we don't know. And I think that's that's the great uh, you, you talk about that sort of palpable sense of anxiety that we all felt on that uh, whatever that was Wednesday night uh, a few weeks ago. That's when it started to creep in for a lot of people. And I'm you know, I always consider myself really fortunate to not be sort of predisposed to having to deal with um, you know, those, those feelings of anxiety or feelings of, um, you know, uh, you know, dealing with, um, with depression or kind of a self, you know, any, anything that involves your personal health, I've been really fortunate. I haven't had to deal with that, but I'm at the same time, I feel like if, if you're one of those people that haven't dealt with it, now it's our, now it's our turn to make sure that we're, we're helping out with, with, with everything that, that we could possibly do. So it, it's been really uh, a big challenge though, because again, we don't have answers. We come back and, um, you know, literally it feels like every day is the same day. I feel like everyone wakes up and you're like, yeah, like you said, is this like a dream sequence? Is this like, mm-hmm. is this for real? Like, uh, like, and when is everything going to come back? And so we've tried our best. Like we do, um, we've, we've converted. I, I laughed because I, I was saying the other day, it's like, it's like I'm back in, uh, it's like I'm back in university because we've converted our dining table into a ping pong set. Uh, we got, <laughs> tons of empty bottles now for return because we can't, we can't return. It's like, I'm like back in a frat house or something um, at our house, but that's what we're doing. Like we're just, uh, we're, we're playing games in the house. We're, we're playing video games. We're watching movies. We're trying all that we can to uh, come up with fun ways to, to kind of uh, get through this stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, where I really feel bad for in, in this situation is people that uh, maybe live by themselves, because I, I think right now the inability to have human contact um, it's, it's crippling. It really is for a lot of people, regardless of whether or not you're uh, predisposed to anxiety or not. I think that it's a really tough feeling to, to if you live by yourself to wonder like, Hey, when's the next time someone's going to give me a hug? When's the next time uh, I'm going to be able to do something like that. Right. So that's the stuff where I think in the platform that I've got, it's really important to make sure that when we're on the radio, we're trying to be uplifting. And actually that's one other thing I'm, I'm trying to do every Wednesday uh, on the show for the foreseeable future, I've been able to partner up with the Royal um, uh, Hospital here in Ottawa, and they'll provide a mental health expert to join us for one segment. And we talk about what can we do uh, inside the house to keep our mind in a good spot. Like we had a sleep expert on last week, we had a caseworker on this week. I think we're hopefully going to have a nutritionist nutritionist on. And we're just trying our best to say like, how can, we're all, this is the first time maybe in the history of civilization we've all been in the same boat like nobody there it's it's a it's a unique period of time and hopefully it doesn't last too much longer but it's certainly it's certainly a challenge yeah it's 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 you know i've been talking about this for for three weeks now and i'm still struggling to put it into words as i'm sure you know you guys are too that's that's a fantastic idea having the mental health experts on and just giving people some sort of idea of you know, things that could make it easier for them. For me, it's just been important to, you know, get outside, get some fresh air. I take the dog for a walk, you know, every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and I, uh, you know, I just do my best to get my exercise and eat right. And uh, just try to keep your, 
head from going to those dark places, right? Which can be hard. You know, we live in the social media age where we're just being bombarded by this stuff constantly. You know, I think you put it great. You know, you can't escape it. What do you think it's been like? Um, well, I, I don't know. For, for me personally, uh, sports has always been that escape, right? Um, you know, even if there is negativity in your life, you said, you know, for people who maybe are dealing with some sort of loneliness, they usually have things that they can fall back on, you know, sports and movies or whatever. With all that having stopped, uh, what do you think that's been like for your listeners who, you know, they get up and they live and breathe for these Ottawa Senators games? Um, you know, have you noticed any kind of difference there um, for people that call into your show? Like, what's that, what's that change been like? You know, it's, it's funny. I would say two weeks ago, uh, there was, I did a show on a Monday two weeks ago and I barely got any feedback. And it was my first, it was my first time uh, wondering, uh-oh, like, is anybody listening? Like, what if nobody's listening, right? Because uh, I think when you, uh, despite the ability to listen to uh, the radio anywhere now, off your phone, off an app, off Google Home, Alexa, you name it, um, you know, iHeartRadio, all these things. I think the most uh, times that we get people is during the commute in the morning and in the afternoon and in their vehicle. I think that um, that remains steadfast for, for, for AM talk radio throughout North America. So there was a time like two weeks ago, I was like, Oh, like what if, like, what if it just thing falls off a cliff and nobody's listening. And then gradually what's weird is that it feels like every day we've had more and more people up until then I did a show on the week on, uh, on Friday and I couldn't believe the engagement level from people writing in. And I think the key was, and this is gonna sound really silly, but we, we broke down uh, the movie rookie of the year. <laughs> which is, you know, the, the 12-year-old kid makes the cup. Yeah. Um, and so, but we, we we didn't just break down the movie. We talked about the scene in the movie where uh, little Henry there is playing, wearing jeans for his Little League kid. <laughs> and we're like, what the hell is, like, how, like, how does this happen? But then we expanded it to ask people, have you ever been forced to play sports wearing jeans? And the amount of people writing back in with stories of, yeah, I forgot my, I forgot my workout clothes one time and we had a pickup game and I had to play. And like, it was unbelievable. Like people writing in, I played squash in jeans. I've gone skiing in jeans. And like, it was this great sort of connection that we had with people. And it was like, okay, well we're back. And, and I think people are listening. So I think what, what people are, are looking for right now is a way to connect with each other. And unfortunately we can't connect over uh, the current NHL season, but we can connect. Mm -hmm over things involving sports that don't necessarily have anything to do with uh, the current, um, you know, the standings or the power play or uh, the draft lottery. So we got to figure out ways to do uh, little things like that. And I, I really do think that in a weird way um, there, I think you can make an argument that the appetite for sports content has never been greater than it is today. And sure. so we have an opportunity to provide that content. And um, I think that's where the listener's at. The listener's like, hey, give me something that, that is fun, that is interactive, that is sports-related, that has nothing to do with um, the COVID-19. I, I even think, this is just me personally speaking, I think fans are sick of, well, what if they restarted the season in July? Or no? like, another, oh, I am. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. Like, what, what if we just zipped our lips listened to the health experts, took our cues from them, and we'll get this stuff back when we get it back. Like, uh, yeah. like to me, I, I understand speculation is the engine that drives talk radio, and it, and it is. But at some point, 
we got to get out of that, you know, when is the season coming back and will they do a playoff or play in? Like, I don't know. And nobody knows. So mm-hmm. I, I think we're, we're pa- that was very two weeks ago to me. And now we've entered a new frontier, which is what if you didn't have sports for 12 months? Could you survive on talk radio for 12 months? My answer is yes, we can absolutely do it. Um, the question is, and I do think that the listeners want it too. It's just, yeah. you know, everyone's habits have, uh, have certainly changed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Rick West had, um, actually posted an excerpt last night. I don't know if you saw, mm-hmm. it was an excerpt from, uh, an interview with Dr. Alan Drummond of the Canadian association of ER physicians. And the line he said, um, when asked about when pro sports should come back was nobody gives a shit right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I forgot um, we're on a podcast. We can swear. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Feel free, man. Yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah. And then he said, um, the line that really struck me was better to turn hockey rinks into makeshift hospitals or morgues, which is incredibly sobering to say the least. Uh, I, I think that's the best way to think about things. And I think it ties in perfectly to what you were saying about sports are secondary right now. Um, when they're going to come back is of less importance than people getting healthy and people just trying to, you know, keep their heads above water, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and turning back to the hockey sides of things, this was obviously such an important year for the Ottawa Senators uh, development-wise. Um, extremely so for the guys who are in the NHL, the young guys who are in the NHL, but perhaps even more so for the Belleville Senators, um, who were primed to make a Calder Cup run, uh, at least you know have a good kick at the can with the team they got. And the guys, they were even projected to get back from the NHL, guys like Hogberg and Wolanin. Do you think not having that American Hockey League playoff does anything to hurt their development? Or is it one of those things where it's like, it's not going to matter in the long run? I, I don't think it's going to matter in the long run because the, I think the playing field has changed for everybody, right? Like every single team's top prospects are in the same boat. So everyone, everyone's trajectory has now altered all at the same rate. And so um, it's obviously, it's tough, you, especially those younger kids. You, I thought they probably had two, three, four playoff rounds in them. Would have wanted to see, have a great uh, playoff round would have been Logan Brown. Like that's the guy that yeah. I can, I, I think you can make, make an argument. Uh, yeah, that guy could use some meaningful games and some stuff for his confidence, but everybody else, I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, Norris took a huge step forward. I think Willannon probably is a guy that's really frustrated by, uh, he comes back and literally plays for what, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. And, uh, sidelined again but you know Branstrom was banged up too but like I think to me all those guys when we get the NHL back and uh, we start a new season I think all those guys will have a shot to legitimately make this team at the NHL level but I it, it's it's too bad that they won't get their Calder Cup run to kind of uh, give them a little bit of confidence going into that next training camp definitely um, you did cut out for a second there, but uh, definitely got the gist of what you were saying. Okay. Um, I, I'm, in agree- I'm in agreement with you. Uh, I don't think it's really going to hurt the kids in the long run. Uh, the the comment about Willan and being frustrated, I can definitely empathize with that because I had the same procedure done in my first year of university football. And uh, that recovery is not an insanely painful or hellacious one, but it's very frustrating because there's a lot of periods where you feel good to go. Like you feel like, you know, you can do certain workouts or you can do contact or whatever. And the doctors or your ATs will tell you, look, I know you feel good, but you're not good. You know, like you got to wait. So the frustration, I think, is is definitely an interesting point. Um, 
And staying on the senators, uh, you know, we, we kind of alluded to ownership earlier and the things that have happened over the last few years. I don't think it's a stretch to say uh, Eugene Melnick is not the most popular guy in Ottawa, and you've had some experience with this yourself. Uh, <laughs> but but it seems like he's batting a thousand lately. He's um, he's pledged to take care of uh, his part time and hourly workers, um, and that includes the ones in Belleville. Um, and the other day, he just pledged the Canadian Tire Center and all facilities um, that may be needed by medical professionals in Ottawa um, at no cost to them. Uh, what 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 are your take on what's your take on things that have happened in the last few days? Uh, do you think this is maybe uh, Melnick's reputation kind of turning a corner in Ottawa, or is this just the case of um, him hitting a layup? If that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I mean, listen, there there's um, I think a big portion of the fan base that remember a few weeks ago when when other teams were announcing the measures that would come in for part time employees and and non full time staff and um, Ottawa was kind of dragging their feet as the last, yep. last team. They, I I can guarantee you, what was everyone thinking? They were like, wow, can't wait. For here we go to, again. Yeah, here we go again. And then then they didn't. You're like, oh, that's, oh, okay. Well, that's a pleasant surprise. And then uh, on top of that, for him, I, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he's the first NHL owner to do this. I haven't seen any other NHL team say, you know what, uh, come ahead, use the Saddle Dome in Calgary or, you know. Uh, I think you're right. And, MTS Center in Winnipeg. I haven't seen it, and uh, give him credit. Um, people don't want to do it, but give him credit. Now, whether or not this is uh, the starting of thawing of relations, I, I don't know, but um, it's a great thing that, look, the one criticism I think we've all had of this team, this organization, and uh, by extension, the owner, is a lack of a connection with the community, a lack of, like, a soul that, mm-hmm. you know, it, that you can feel it and that they're really invested in in, in every aspect of this city and and this is a great move in that direction this is a great move in that direction and okay i i see people say well it didn't cost him anything okay but he didn't have to do it he didn't have yeah. to be the first he didn't wait to see six other teams come up with the idea he they, they did it themselves so i i tipped my hat to him the other day on the radio and i think i did on twitter too um and whether or not he, whether or not he saw or heard uh, my comments, I don't know. But uh, yeah. I think he does deserve uh, some degree of uh, applause after uh, after doing what he's done here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so much of it is um, giving credit where credit's due. I uh, I've been as critic of, uh, as critical of Eugene Melnick as anybody. When the Mark Stone trade happened last year, I wrote a piece for Silver Seven called "The Toxic Culture of the Ottawa Senators." And uh, it definitely got some traction, but coincidentally, a day later, I had an email from Nick Ruskowski, who was the COO at the time. In my, uh, I had an email telling me he was at my disposal. So, th- what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, this is definitely a situation where we can say, you know, good job by Eugene Melnick. Uh, this is a question I've kind of asked the last few people who have been on, um, just because I'm curious to see what people are thinking. Um, Melnick's uh, financial situation has been well-documented over the last little while. Uh, he's got some lawsuits on the go that he's on the, uh, we'll say, the wrong end of. Um, and there's been speculation that, you know, maybe with the expansion draft, uh, he's going to take that expansion check and get out of town. Do you see a scenario where Eugene Melnick is the owner of the Senators long term, or do you think uh, the clock's ticking? 
I mean, it feels like for a lot of people, they feel like the clock is ticking, but I don't, is that just wishful thinking, right? From, mm-hmm. from a percentage of fans that don't uh, like the decisions that he's made, is that just wishful thinking? Are you starting to uh, look for signs and, you know, put pieces together and uh, think that this is, you know, uh, where we're headed? I, again, I, you know, I think all of this, what's happened with COVID-19 certainly throws everything, uh, throws a wrench into everything, right? Because now, you're like, what, is, what does anything mean uh, mm-hmm. for uh, NHL and the salary caps and uh, revenue? And like the Ottawa Senators right now, I, I can't see how they're going to make a penny in the next, whatever, six months or seven months, right? Like, I, like what revenue are you really going to be generating here uh, without any game day sales, without like people I don't think are rushing out to buy merchandise or anything like that? So this is going to be a, a real test of um, if the rumors of his financial instability are as accurate as some people think well i think this might be certainly putting it uh, to the test i do think um probably much to the uh, dismay of some people i do think that there's a scenario where he's the long-term owner of this team but it's got to be um look you go go through the list of unpopular owners in sports you go down to washington in the nfl dan snyder's been an unpopular owner there for how long 20 years 25 oh my god years. yeah um, james dolan with the knicks um, you know, you, you can go through, you go through the sports history, um, owners come and go and owners also are popular and they're unpopular when, when things are, see the problem for Ottawa is in the last couple of years, they have become, in my opinion, uh, probably the number one punching bag, uh, for humor in maybe in the entire sports world, right? There, there was like a period from 2018 to 2019 where every day you would wake up as a Senators fan. I would wake up as a reporter and be like, "Uh oh, like, yeah. like what's today gonna bring when I when I hit the refresh button on Twitter, right? Like it was it was insane." And that the problem is, at the same time that was going on, this team was finishing in thirtieth place. Like it was every like, and, and Carlson was going, and Stone was going, and Turris was going, and like like it was like every popular guy that you loved was going. And everything was going to hell in a handbasket. And it was just, it was an insane period of time that at some point, uh, probably one of us is going to have to write a book about that two, three year period because it, it's insane. It, like, mm-hmm. truly, it's insane. And all of this, I think the finger got pointed uh, at the owner. And so now the question is can you come back from that? And I, listen, I think the answer is yes, but it's got to be done in a way in which you're uh, transparent with the community, that you're uh, willing to take some criticism. And and, hey, listen, if you want to give criticism, give criticism, Um, but you got to be able to take some. And you can't, you don't get to trade away Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, finish 30th in basically three straight years and not take any criticism. And Mm -hmm. it's not unfair. It's legitimate, objective criticism of the way things have been going. And if you don't, I think if they allow the ability for, objective criticism to be part of um you know their 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 plan moving forward then we're all going to be in a better spot but when you don't when you deny that your your house is burning and then you're left with nothing but um you know you you, you've burned it right down to the foundation well you know you, you don't expect people to just rush back and and, and put in money to rebuild the house like they're like, they're like yeah oh. i think that's that's what really agitated some people in around the Mark Stone trade, the message was kind of something along the lines of, wow, just go get a new girlfriend. Well, oh yeah, that's not how it works. I mean, it's not how it works. But, you know, where I'll give, where I'll give Pierre Dorian credit is 
you know, he's come back since then and he's apologized for some of those comments. He said, yep. look, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said it was the most proud day of my life. I shouldn't have said some of the things. So I, to me, I think a lot of people looked at some of the things Dorian said, okay, at least you're willing to own them and, and learn from them and, and move forward. I think if Eugene could do the same thing, we'd all be in a, in a better spot, but Hey, listen, he owns the team. It's his right to say or not say uh, whatever he wants, but I do see a scenario where he could be the owner of this team in you know, in five years. Mm -hmm. I think the, I think the line that really pissed everybody off from that whole ordeal was, well, one of them was the, the line about the vocal minority, right? They said it was a vocal minority of fans. I, that might've been on, on your show actually. Oh yeah, no, no, that was that was the well, and that was of course the infamous interview I did with, with Pierre that kind of obviously yeah. agitated uh, Eugene and led to some comments that he he made about me. But uh, you know, and this is this has been my number one thing I've been trying to say to them, and th this is where I think we butt heads uh, with me personally and them as an organization. I always feel like it's my job to accurately reflect the mood of the fan base and the feeling of the fans and ask the questions that they would ask uh, to the people. Like that's the job I think of a journalist. If you don't yeah. hold people in positions of power to some degree of accountability, then what's the point? Yep. You, you just let them run amok and then you go, you, you drive this thing off a cliff. Our job as journalists is to be guardrails. So if you think of uh, a professional sports organization or anything uh, that is covered on a regular basis by journalists, uh, if you're driving down the road, uh, we're supposed to be your guardrail so that you never go right off the cliff so that we can yeah. hold you to accountability. And so when you don't, when you remove those guardrails, what happens? This, mm -hmm. this is what happens. And so that, that would be to me, the, the, the one thing I look back at and say, that's, that's where we need to be better. Like they, they need, like, I don't feel like I hold up a, a funhouse mirror and and reflect a distorted view of what people think of the Ottawa Senators. I think I am a very accurate reflection of what the fan base and what people think of the team. It's an accurate mirror. If you don't like the reflection, don't, don't blame the mirror. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of been my message to them. And they, they obviously disagree and feel that I've been unfair uh, in my coverage. And that's fine. Like, Hey, that's their right. Like I, I can't sit on some sort of pulpit uh, and just dish out criticism and not take any in return. Like, then I'm just being thin-skinned, which is not right. So I accept their criticism. I I respectfully disagree uh, with it, uh, but I'd be willing to continue to uh, to have a dialogue with them, you know, moving forward in a, in a profession. I don't have any personal issues with anybody. I, of course, I think we have a I think we have a professional disagreement. It seems like um, it seems like there's been resistance on their end to you know engage with you guys in the media, uh, especially after that Dorian interview. Um, where do you think that disconnect comes from? Do you think that they, or for at least, you know, back then, do you think they actually believed what they were saying and that, you know, that the fans weren't actually livid with them? Or do you think that it was some kind, it was them trying to flip the narrative? I think maybe a little bit of the two. I think if, if you don't, if you don't pay attention to the coverage, um, then you're going to think that anytime that there's negativity uh, around that it's, it's created by the media. And I, I don't like, I think that that's my big issue is I think um, like here in this market, again, I don't like, listen, I think you'd find a lot of Ottawa fans who would argue we've actually been too soft on the team. And I think you go to talk to them 
uh, and uh, they would say that we've been too hard. And that's the disconnect. So that's the disconnect to me is the fans are saying, man, you need to be tougher on these guys. The team is saying you're too tough on us and we're in the middle. And Mm -hmm. so that to me is the definition of a disconnect. And I think if we could all just get back together in some way, shape or form and say, look, moving forward, this is how we're going to solve this. We're going to be able to, to, to give fair criticism. I don't think I've ever given an ounce. And I've always asked them, listen, you give me, you give me any example of where I've been unprofessional or inaccurate with my reporting and I'll own it a hundred percent. Like, I don't think that I'm making stuff up. I don't think I've, uh, I've ever, you know, blown anything out of proportion, but they think that. And so that's to me, a a disconnect, but I, but I, I'm not angry about it. I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm super, uh, thick skinned and, and, and willing to take criticism. Cause I think, you know, and Eugene said, what did he say? But he called me a, a Bush league. Uh, he called you Bush league. Uh, you know, yeah. My, my were Bush league or whatever. Oh, hey, he has 100% right to say that. Imagine, imagine if, uh, I got mad at him for saying that because then I, then I'm a hypocrite. Because I'm not letting someone criticize me. I think as long as at the end of the day, we got to be able to criticize each other, but there's got to be a respect. Yeah. I don't know that they uh, respect me anymore. And and that's fine. But that's their right. That's their right as owner and, and, you know, general manager of the team. They they have the right to, uh, you know, maybe not not respect me. And and that's fine. But I I think if if you want to use me as a... um, what would be the, like a kind of almost like a guinea pig as we talk about trying to fix the disconnect with the fan base. I've said this before on the radio and I'll say it again. I would be more than happy to serve as the guinea pig. Like, listen, you want to reconnect with the fans, reconnect with me. And, yeah. and, and, and I think if you do that, I have no problem. I, I, we can show you how we can do this, but it's about building trust back. And they, there's no trust between, uh, you know, them and me. And that, and again, that's fine, but, but trust, is something that has to get built back up over time. And we're all, again, I'll give Pierre Dorian credit. Pierre's been really, like this season, Pierre came over to me at one point and said, hey, listen, I, I've, I've listened to you. I've read your stuff. I appreciate it. I think you've been, I think you've been more fair and balanced in your coverage this year. And I said, hey, listen, I appreciate that. And, and, and I pre- that's all I want is to be able to have a, a working relationship with people. So I'm going to give Pierre a ton of credit for mm-hmm. at least reaching out a couple of times this season. Um, and coming over, pulling me aside, and and you know I feel like I can text him again, and um, if I have questions, and he's he's been he's been good to uh, he's been good to me uh, in the last whatever twelve months or so, or eight months. Yeah, he's a guy I've kind of felt bad for and tried to direct some of my frustrations away from because you have to think his hands are tied, right? Um, he's got a very clear mandate on what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to say. I would have to imagine anyway. I don't want to, you know, say that's a hard fact because I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't know Pierre Dorian. I'm not, I'm certainly not, you know, on the end with the Senator's organization. Uh, but we, you, you, you said something interesting about building trust back. Um, and this is a question I've always wanted to ask someone in the Ottawa media because I'm, and I'm really happy I have you on to ask you why and how do Thomas Shabbat and Colin White get extended? Not that I'm saying those are bad things. I'm thrilled that both of those guys are locked up long-term. But why are they deserving of long-term extensions? And why are guys like Eric Carlson and Mark Stone, um, you know, guys who have been core members of the team, Eric Carlson, who's a generational talent, why are those guys not in Ottawa anymore? 
Right. I mean, listen, on Carlson, I think you can maybe make an argument that the way that it's played out, that him at $12 million a year here, um, based on the health and whatever and where this team's at, might have been an unmitigated disaster. Like, maybe you can make an argument. But you can't convince me that Mark Stone wasn't the guy. Like, I, I thought a number of times this year, Brandon, during the season watching this team, I thought, you know, if they just had Mark Stone, yes. I, I, they would have been like a playoff bubble team or like a, just out of that bottom five of the league. Like that, yeah. how many times I thought to myself, if you just had stone, if you, how, how many guys, how many games did they lose in overtime or shootouts, especially right, in right. the second half of the season? Right? Tons. Like, like every time Marcus Holdberg started, right. It felt yep. like the game went to overtime or a shootout and it didn't go in their favor. I always thought if you just had him, if you just had him, because the one thing that Mark had and Alfie had it and some other guys have had it, it's a built in, automatic inherent trust with the fan base that doesn't matter that guy's my leader that guy's if that guy says it's good enough then it's good enough for me and i think when, when he decided to go to vegas i really felt like a lot of fans felt like it was him saying i'm i'm not signing up for seven more years of this and, mm -hmm. and it's a clown show and I, i'm out and i think a lot of fans felt like if it's not good enough for mark stone it's not good enough for me and yeah. and they're like, I'll I'll be back when I'm back. But if it's not good enough for him, I'm out of here. And so it it it's it's a tough one because at the same time, when you say goodbye to those guys, everyone I think everyone's biggest concern last year was can't wait till Thomas Shabbat becomes an RFA. He's gonna get offer sheeted and the Habs are gonna roll up the Brinks truck and they're gonna off front load it and they're not gonna be able to match. Well, guess what? They got Shabbat signed. And mm. so I'll, I'll defend that one to the ends of the earth. They of course. had to get somebody signed. I mean, Colin White, I always felt like, man, that guy was screaming bridge deal, but whatever. You're not a cap team. I don't see Colin White's contract being a, if, if Colin White's contract becomes a white elephant on your payroll, that's going to be a good thing. Yeah. I don't know when that, when that day is, but it's not now and it's not no. next year and it's not the year after. So um, to me, I think signing Shabbat was huge. It showed that um, you made a commitment here, but now the next guy that kind of has a little bit of that stone Alfie thing is Kachuk. Yep. So now we're going to get to next year. And if he's able to uh, resign, I think everyone's going to say, okay, if Brady signs up for six years or seven years or eight years, then I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the one that I'm going to be watching for. If they can get him signed, um, that would be great. And the thing that worries me to some extent is he is part of the camp of Brady uh, that had Mark Stone, that had Eric Carlson, and Craig Oster is the agent. Uh, maybe Craig Oster is the guy that should write the book. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but he's uh, Craig's a terrific guy. Like he really is. He's a stand-up, uh, very professional, uh, very well-respected agent, and he's going to probably be the guy negotiating Brady's deal. And at the back of everyone's mind, you're going to be thinking, "Uh-oh!" But you were in charge of Stone, and you were in charge of. Uh, Eric and you were, you know, so it's going to be really interesting, but that's the one to me, if they can get Brady Kachuk signed, I feel like some more people will kind of come back, uh, come back on board. The thing for me, um, when Stone left, uh, Brent Wallace, who works for TSN, obviously tweeted that Mark Stone never wanted to leave Ottawa. He said, I don't care what anyone says. Anyone that says otherwise is either uninformed or outright lying. Or I'm paraphrasing, obviously, right? But he said he made it very clear that Mark Stone never wanted to leave Ottawa. So with that in mind, if you have that commitment from Mark Stone, 
how does that guy get away? And right, when, right. and you mentioned Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk strikes me as a guy who doesn't want to leave Ottawa, right? But is you know what what assurances do Senators fans have that if some team gives an offer sheet for Brady Kachuk, which I'm sure it was definitely not out of the realm of possibility, he'll be one of the most sought after RFAs if he gets there. Uh, so again, how does Mark Stone get away, and how does Bra- and what does that mean for Brady Kachuk? Right, and that's that's. I mean, how how does Alfie get away, right? Yeah, and Carlson, and yeah. If you really think about it, that's the one that uh, kind of maybe started the chain of events that led to some of the dysfunction that you you see today. And so, it's a fair question. Again, I'll go back to Shabbat and say that I think that's what everyone was fearing with Shabbat, and they got him done. Um, I would agree with Brent Wallace's assessment for sure. Mark Mark loved it here. Like Mark and his girlfriend loved. Ottawa. That guy loved playing for the Senators and he loved being the leader. He loved uh, having Brady live with him. Like that guy loves the Senators. He he loves this. Mark Stone was the quintessential Ottawa Senator. He's the only guy I ever felt like uh, as a forward in the last few years. I was like, that guy, if he stays his whole career here, he's Alfie. He's going to become Daniel Alfredson. Late round pick, right winger, uh, just perennial. Uh, you know, all-star caliber seasons, uh, not a super superstar, but a star. Like he, he had everything, and he loved it here. And so, yeah, I mean, does it does it simply come down to the money? Does it simply come down to? Um, I think it came down to the fact that Mark Stone wants to win, and Mark Stone didn't feel like in his window that this thing would be turned around to his satisfaction within a year or two. And I think that's the same for for Jean Gabriel Pajot, and I think that's the same for a lot of guys that felt like they loved it here. They They'll come back and later. Kyle Turris still lives here. Yeah. In the offseason. Like, these guys love it here. Like, that's the one thing that I hope people get out of all of this is that, you know, I think there was always this sort of tendency like, oh, man, guys don't like Ottawa and they're leaving the Senators. Guys love it here. Like, they love living here. They, and one thing they always tell me, fans are so respectful in Ottawa. When they're out in public, um, they're constantly... Uh, you know, if they're bombarded, they're, it's done in a respectful way. Guys love it here. And Mark Stone knew he could have been the face of this franchise. And he he made the decision, and I don't begrudge him, you get one shot as an unrestricted free agent mm-hmm. uh, to call your shot. And he basically was an unrestricted free agent around that trade deadline and got to got to call his shot. Yeah. Do you think Kachuk gets done? If he does, and I'm hoping to God that he does, uh, if he resigns in Ottawa, do you think it happens this summer or next I'm starting to think next summer now only because I don't know what on earth the landscape is going to be. Right. Like, I don't know. And I, I, I wonder how much this affects everything. Right. Duclair and Tierney and like, like, I don't know what, what's the size of the revenue pie going to be for mm-hmm. next season. Is everyone going to be taking a haircut? Is everyone going to be taking uh, less money? Like, I don't know. So um, my suggestion would be if I had to guess, I say Kachuk gets done next year. Um, but again, until, until we get to, if we get to July 1st, 2021 and he's not signed, then yeah, I, I'd say go ahead and, and start to freak out a little bit. But again, yeah. he's an RFA, he's not a UFA. So there's, there's plenty of leverage here. Um, there's an opportunity for them to match something. So uh, look, there's, there's no reason. I think it's just in inherent for senators fans to have their backs up about who's leaving who's leaving next but i think we're we're far too early in the the game to be worried about brady kachuk leaving yeah one thing that makes me feel good about his situation is winnipeg and st louis are both 
cash strapped. Like I think those are two places he might love to play uh, for obvious reasons, and neither of them can really afford to dole out a major offer sheet for him. Uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long here, Ian, but um, but one thing I do want to ask you about. Uh, this has been a hot button issue in Ottawa for I would say a few years now. And listen, if there's any media member listening to this, if there's any member of the Senators organization listening to this, Ottawa Senators fans hate, hate, hate the current uniform. They yes. hate them. Yes. They hate the logo. They hate everything about it. So um, there's been rumors that the change is coming this fall, maybe. We'll see what happens. Um, you said uh, that the Senators will need a generate way to generate revenue. I'm telling you, that would be one hell of a way. If they come out with some really nice uniforms, they would fly off the shelves. Uh, there's been rumors about the 2D logo coming back. There's been rumors about the O coming back. Um, if you think the Senators are coming out with new uniforms, what do you think they're going to look like? And in, in, you know, in your perfect world, what would they look like? It's funny because I think what they need to do is they need to reconnect with uh, you know, got, people like people that are like of your age. So I'm talking about people in their 20s and their 30s. And your fondest memories uh, are certainly like when Alfie scored that goal to put them in the cup. That was 2D logo, right? right? Yep. In 2007. Mm-hmm. That that's what you got to go back to. Like to me, that you go back to that. In my perfect world, you go back to the 2D logo. And if you have an alternate third jersey, like I I really enjoyed that O, the Heritage O, either, either the black one. Or or even, you know, the, the sort of cream-colored jersey or the black yeah. one. I like that look. That's a really nice, uh, classic look. So that in my perfect world, when I talk to a lot of Ottawa fans, they love the 2D logo. It makes them think of their childhood. It makes them feel like um, I'd love to see Brady Kachuk rock in the 2D because it would mean like my worlds are colliding. And yeah. A lot. I think so much of sports is connected to your childhood and to your past. And if you were nine or 10 years old, in your case, eight years old, um, watching that 07 team, you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. And that, that sure. Jersey, that logo, that look is going to mean something to you uh, from now until the end of time. And so if you can, that's what we need to do. We need to, unfortunately in Ottawa, we need to go back in time, mm-hmm. find that moment where you connected with the senators and figure out how do we take that and fast forward past 20, uh, 17, 18, 19 and 20 kind of make it seem like those years never existed and make you love this team again. And I think to me, that's, that's one way of doing it. Do you think it's coming down the pipe? I I do. Like, if you had to ask me, like, and again, everything is prefaced with, I don't know what's going to happen now in light of uh, all the the coronavirus stuff, but (laughs) yeah, listen, my understanding was, I think they were probably planning on doing something huge around the draft that I think in an ideal world, their plan would have been in June, uh, right around the draft to unveil, you know, New Jersey, new look, um, all that stuff. Uh, and then kind of, you know, in, in a perfect world, you'd be getting up to the podium and um, Alexi Lafreniere would be putting it on. But whoever it is uh, becomes kind of one of your new faces of the franchise and is wearing the new threads. I mm-hmm. think that was plan A. But now that we don't know when that draft is going to be and if it's just going to be a virtual draft, is it going to be uh, the ability to even put on the jersey or show off the jersey? I don't know. But I think that was the plan. And if that was the plan, I would imagine when they, they lace them up next season, I think they might have a new look. I cannot wait for that. Uh, and Graham Creech made a great point. Uh, he said 
you know, he wants the home jersey to be black. Uh, there's already two red teams in the division, three if you count Florida. I got to say I'm firmly in that camp. If they go back to the black 2D as a home as a home jersey, maybe have a red O or red 2D alternate, I'm all for that. Where do you land on it? Do you want black or do you want red? This is with the 2D? Correct. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I like the look of the black one. I do. I think uh, when I when I close my eyes and think about the black 2D logo, it it just I don't know, maybe it pops a little bit more, but uh, like I like the hair the red looked well good with the heritage O. Like I remember when I first saw mm-hmm. it when they first released it on Twitter, I'm like, man, this looks like it's a knockoff from some third world yeah. country. It looks terrible. And then you, I saw it in person and I'm like, okay, that's really sharp. Like, so the red in my mind, I guess I've always just associated with the heritage. O, and mm-hmm. the black, um, I do think of the, the 2d logo, like black, uh, for the home games and white, uh, for the road games would be perfect for me. Yeah, I'm in the same boat there. I I hated the first the uh, the Heritage O when I saw them, like the the red ones, and now I own two of them. So right, you know, it's it's funny how you do a 180 on that. Like I said, Ian, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, uh, do you, do you want to answer some questions? Yeah, for sure. Cool. So uh, Matt Bosty, who you're familiar with, wants to know if you could eat a rotisserie chicken with one Ottawa senator, who would it be? Oh well, first of all, I've had the pleasure of having chicken with Matt. Um, and I don't know. I didn't realize he was constantly tweeting at me for rotisserie chicken uh, dates. But anyway, it was finally brought to my attention, and I met up with him last summer at uh, at Whole Foods in uh, at Lansdowne. And we uh, actually they didn't even. I don't think we even had rotisserie chicken. But anyway, we we said that. What a great guy. He's a great example of those are the types of Sens fans we need to kind of connect with. Those kind of guys like you, I mean, guys and girls that are in their twenties uh, and thirties that love this team like that. To me, is everything. So, uh, as for right now, like, so current member of the, like, if it's a current member of the senator, like, how do you not go Brady Kachuk, right? Like, yeah. that guy is the number one sort of interview on that team. He's fun, and yet he's not over the line. Like, he's not controversial, but he's really colorful, and he seems to uh, have a real uh, affinity for kind of 80s pop culture and 90s pop culture and stuff like that. So, he'd be a great guy for me. He'd be, he'd be my pick. I love that. Uh, Sean wants to know, Silver 7 writer, um, we'll just breeze through this one real quick. Uh, how many how many years should the Sens sign Duclair, Tierney, and Connor Brown for? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. That's a really, really good question. Like, I, to me, all of them would be in the two to three year max situation. I, I don't know that any of them would be of the ilk that, you know, let's get these guys done to four, five, six year deals. Duclair is obviously the most intriguing because after that start, you were thinking, man, maybe they could buy low on this guy and do a five, six year deal. Yeah. I think that kind of got uh, the, the brakes got put on that a little bit, but you know, if, if they gave Anthony Duclair a two year deal um, and again, I don't know what the number is, three and a half million or four. Yeah. I don't know what the number is, but I would do two years on him. And the other guys, I think that Tierney and, and Brown, you need to ask yourself uh, when this team is said to be competing for a playoff spot, which I'll say is kind of like 18 months from now, two years from now, Mm-hmm. Where do they slot in? They shouldn't probably be in your top six. They should probably be a uh, third line guy. So if you could pay them accordingly in kind of third, third line dollars and a uh, term of that nature, that when this is where it's supposed to be, that that's their role, then, you know, I'd have no problem with it. I, I wouldn't want to see them do, you know, five times five or something on, on any of those guys. And then all of a sudden, you know, two years from now, three years from now, you've got Norris on an entry level expiring and you have all these guys that have come up and played well and you need to pay them. And now uh, these guys are being kind of miscast based on their salary. Yeah. 
Brown is uh, the only guy I might go longer term on just because I think he's going to be incredibly valuable for a competitive Senators team in the bottom six. Uh, James wants to know your take on being called Bush League. You kind of already um, <laughs> addressed that. Uh, but he wants to know, we got to keep the coffee questions going. Um, are you an iced coffee guy or do you just stick always to hot? Okay, so this you're, maybe you'll enjoy this story, maybe you won't. But until last year, I had never had a sip of coffee in my life. What? In your life. Yeah, I was 42 years old. When I had my first sip of coffee last year, and uh, I, I, I just never did. I got through university, and I'm not really. I was never really a caffeinated guy or whatever, so I never needed it. But uh, I, I said last year, I said, okay, I'm going to go to the uh, original Starbucks location in Seattle, and uh, we were there on a family trip, and I said, okay, I will have my first cup of coffee ever at the OG Starbucks in uh, Pike Market there in uh, Seattle. So I did. I had my first cup of coffee there, hot coffee, and it was – that was okay. in fact, I haven't had a hot cup of coffee since, but I have had iced coffee. Uh, now, fairly regularly, we have a machine at home that makes iced coffee. So I'll have a couple of um, iced coffees during the course of a week, but I've, I've only still only had one cup of, uh, of hot coffee. You're just confirming what everybody already thinks about you, Ian. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> uh, Trevor, uh, Trevor Shackles, I think you did his podcast, Cost Per Podcast. Yeah, yeah. great podcast. Uh, he wants to know what sports highlight or highlights do you find yourself watching on repeat during this time of no sports? Ooh, yeah, so, I, you know, what's funny. I haven't really gone back and watched too many things. So I've been PVRing. Like when they're playing classic games and stuff. Like the other day, I watched. Um, I saw Sportsnet was doing the Habs and Flames '89 uh, Stanley Cup, and that was my. The Habs were my favorite team as a kid, so I PVR that and I watched it. But like I'm, like I last couple like I've seen Sportsnet's been doing these Leafs Senators games. Like what? Why? What are you doing to us here? I know I hate it. Last night was the Gary Roberts overtime goal. Last <sighs> week was Newendike and the game. I'm like, okay, you know, you don't have to show all these games. Like, or why don't you show Alfie smoking? Tucker and I, I, I'm in for that game, uh, but it's uh, you know it's been tricky. I've been actually watching more mo like sports movies mm -hmm. than I have been old games, and I've been kind of just watching like uh, I'm a big NFL fan, so I've been watching uh, some of those uh, football life documentaries and you know, love those things like that. So, but I haven't really watched too many games uh, just yet. Gotcha. Um... What's your favorite rotisserie chicken flavor? This is, is Matt. This has got to be Matt again. No, this is Joe. This is uh, Matt's buddy. But uh, yeah, I know it's the rotisserie chicken thing. It's getting out of hand. But like, what are my <laughs> options here? Like, just like regular, what, Portuguese? Like, what? Dude, that's like, what, what I was thinking. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like I would go like barbecue or. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, if yeah. I go to the grocery store, if I get, or Costco or whatever, if you get a rotisserie chicken, like, usually it's just barbecue flavor, right? Yeah, I think like I go to St. Like sometimes I'll stop at uh, on the way home. We have a drive through St. Hubert, uh, not right. too far from our house. And but I don't even know. Do they have flavors there? I th I don't know. I, I, just... I'm a Toronto guy, right? So I don't know anything about the St. Hubert. But uh, right, right. But yeah, uh, you, you can't mess with the classics. I think no. Um. So Sylvain wants to know ask, uh, how much do you miss the Culture Club? Oh, that's Sylvain Saint Laurent asking yeah. that question. So <laughs> when. <laughs> When we used to, when I used to travel with the senators in, uh, you know, whatever, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, Sylvan and I, uh, just, it was Culture Club, right? Yeah. So it's funny. And I think we kind of based this off the office where uh, there was an episode where like Pam and I think it was like 
Oscar or whatever they try to start like, and, and a Toby, they try to start like a finer things club where they're like trying different <laughs> foods or whatever. And Sylvan and I were like, you know, we go out to these cities, we go to Buffalo, we go to Pittsburgh. All we do is we go and we're like, let's go find wings and let's go. Like we would eat the same thing. We're like, you know what? We're going to change this up. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to go for Thai food. We're going to go for like, so we would, uh, we would change it up and we would like kind of open, try to broaden our horizons with, um, cause you know what, you, when you go on the road with hockey reporters, it's always like you go to the same like bar and you drink, you see the same people drink the same food drink the same beer and it's just stuck in an endless loop so we were we were trying to shake it up and I, that guy Sullivan Sullivan was one of the best um like one of the most fun guys to travel with and maybe it's because we were pretty much the same age and we have the same uh same kind of interest and, and that type of thing but I I yeah I immensely miss our, our attempts to uh to classen up the uh the audible media <laughs> We'll try to rip through the rest of these as many as we can. I love that. That's a great, that's hilarious. Um, what's Sean Simpson really like? <laughs> you know what? It's funny because that's like when I started working with him, I was like, I'm going to at some point, I'm going to reach over. I'm going to choke this guy. <laughs> reach over. I will choke him out on live radio. And then, you know, we've had uh, uh, some great conversations and, you know, our relationship really, really blossomed and it turned. With, and, and, you know, the thing is that he when he opened up, to me and, and I ended up writing about this but um, you know when he opened up and told me about kind of some of his personal battles and demons and things that he's been dealing with it was a game changer and now I'm of the opinion like I'll go through a wall for that guy yeah. like just like through a wall because he cares he, he's kind of like he's kind of like your like like kind of like a funny uncle in a way You're like yeah. that guy's weird and he's quirky AF and all that stuff but but then but then you get to know him. You're like, man, he's got a heart of gold. He, he really, truly does. So that's one of the things I really honestly miss working with him because, and I never would have thought after my first year working with him, if you would have said, hey, down the road, you're going you're gonna to miss working with that guy. I'd be like, yeah, right. And then, you know, we kind of unfortunately got broken up uh, last year. And, um, and I missed him because it's, uh, I think we forged a really nice chemistry. I think we created a nice bond. And, and I think we, we really, truly um, enjoyed working with each other and but more importantly kind of becoming friends so that but in fact i was just texting with him today and i'm just thinking like man i don't know when the next time i'm actually going to see him is uh, yeah. is going to be yeah he actually has me blocked on twitter so if, sean if you're listening throw your guy a bone well, listen you you would be in the minority if you weren't i know yeah <laughs> that guy i always joke with him i say you i said you're the anton volchenkov of twitter i was like yeah, <laughs> you're blocking everything he threw he throws the block down really easily. I'm not even sure why I got it, but I'm sure I deserved it. Right. Um, no, chances are you might have only you might have been tagged in some tweet and he's just like, you're all going down. <laughs> uh Ross has a really cool hypothetical question. Um these will be the last couple here. Uh who wins the best of seven between the 0203 cents and the 0607 cents? Ooh, that's a great question. I would lean towards 0203. Uh, only because of the Zidane Chara factor, and you yeah. got to remember, like you know, Z was there. Um, you know, you, you got Hossa on one side, Heatley on the other. But boy, Hossa was playing some pretty complete hockey uh, mm. back then. I, I, I truly believe you had to ask me the one best Ottawa team. It, I mean, maybe and there might even be an argument for 0506 too. Yeah, because, if they were uh, healthy, yeah. Yeah, because you know, Hashik is there, Chara is still there. Uh, you know, Havlad is there. Like, man, I, that's a pretty stacked team too. But between those two, o two, o three, o six, o seven, I I'd probably lean towards o two, o three. Yeah, even there, even there, people forget. Um, 
Patrick Laleem gets a lot of crap, but uh, he back then, like in that playoffs especially, he was just ridiculous. Like he was playing lights out. I think that was was that the year he like, with the Philadelphia series where I think he had three back to back shutouts. Or like I that? think the Philly the three shutouts was the year before in 02. Right. Yeah. 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 They played Philly again in 03 in the second round, and he was really good. Although mm. you didn't have to be that good to outdo Czech Manic, but yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, true. He was, uh, <laughs> dialed in for sure. Um, if you were forced to eat Eric Carlson's ketchup on spaghetti pregame or Chris Neal's ranch dressing on spaghetti, which one would you choose? Um, I, I'll, I'll give you death as a third option. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe that third option looks like the best, <laughs> especially after I just went off about being part of the culture club. Yeah, really? This is uh, the exact opposite of that, man. See, we had the great debate about this on the radio too, because they tried to pass it off. Like, I think Chris Neal tries to pass this off as like, it's like a quasi Alfredo sauce. Oh, but God. come on. It's red. It is terrible to say. I think if I'm forced between the two, I might go sp- uh, the ketchup. And it's terrible. Like, uh, they're both bad options. Make no mistake about it. There's no uh, right answer there. But if I'm forced to, I, give me the ketchup, I guess. Yeah. God, that's just unthinkable. Um, yeah. We'll do uh, we'll do a couple more here. Uh, out of these players, who do you think is most likely to get their number retired? Chris Neal, Jason Spezza, Eric Carlson, Craig Anderson, and uh, this one's obviously a joke, David Legwand. You know what's funny about Legwand? I had no record. So we're replaying all these old games uh, from like the Hamburglar run and stuff. Yeah. I legit have no memory of David Legwand on the Hamburglar run. Same thing happened to me. Yeah, I guess he was there, but uh, and then he got traded, right? Like he was just kind of thrown into that uh, Leonard deal, the Buffalo. But um, yeah. so yeah, I, I think Leonard's probably uh, sorry, Leonard uh, Legwand's probably a no. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd probably go Chris Neal only because um, I don't like Carlson. Boy, I don't. Did he have the length of time here um, to warrant it? It's it it's it's right on the fence for me. Um, same with Spezza. It's like it's just. You know, Neil, if, if if you retired Chris Phillips's number four based on the fact that he played a thousand games, he never went anywhere else, he was a great community guy, like a lot of the attributes that we kind of ascribe to Chris Phillips, I think you can ascribe to Chris Neal. So based on that, I would probably say Nealer, but again, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's a ring of honor guy. Maybe Spets is a ring of, I'd like to actually see them do that a little bit more, to be honest with you. Me like, too. I'd like to see the ring of honor come back. And the guy I want in there like tomorrow is Jacques Martin. Yes. Jacques uh, has done so much for this thing uh, for, for, for so many years. He brought, you know, Jacques brought the, the one thing that we're desperately looking for right now, which is structure and stability. Mm-hmm. Those were two words that when you think of Jacques Martin, you think of structure, you think of stability. He, he elevated the brand. He elevated everything. And he did it in a very understated, humble manner. And so I'd love to see him uh, get into that, uh, into that ring of honor. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree there. I think the one thing I could definitely see happening was, is, you know, years from now, obviously, a new ownership group retiring Eric Carlson's number as sort of like a goodwill gesture, if that makes sense, Uh, kind of mending fences. I I could definitely see that happening. I actually have one for you, Ian. I really appreciate it. I know we've kind of, I've kind of kept you longer than I said I would. Uh, If you could have a beer with any of the past senators coaches, who would it be? Ooh, past senators coaches. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. I mean, it'd be hard to not say Brian Murray just because he was, uh, unbelievable storyteller, you know, unbelievable. But you know what? Uh, I'll go Paul McClain. I'll go Paul McClain on this one because we just had him on the radio the other day and it was a great reminder of what a personality 
and what a quick-witted, sharp guy he was. And he was really great to, to deal with. I, I always had uh, a lot of fun working with him, uh, working around him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would go Paul McClain because he's, he's also has a great – uh, career in the NHL where he was, I think, a four or five time 30 goal scorer. Like the stories uh, that he would have would be unbelievable. I love that answer. And uh, we'll wrap it up there. Ian, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Like I said, this was, this was a huge thrill for me. Uh, you, however long this quarantine goes, you just made it for me. So thank you so much. Oh, Brandon, I really do appreciate it. Like I said, uh, I, uh, I, I don't know if I said this off the top, but I can't remember, but I, I will say I really appreciate when people like you um, are such passionate um, consumers of the work we put out. It, it really means a lot to me that uh, you guys and girls from Silver 7 or even just, you know, senators, bloggers and podcasters, that you pay that much attention to the team, that you love the team so much. And by extension, uh, you follow us so closely. It, it's a real honor for me uh, to be able to spend a little bit of time with you. So thank you for, uh, for reaching out. And hopefully we can do this again down the road. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come back on, just let me know. Um, All right. And uh, the drive every weekdays from two to five, I'll say? Two till six. Two till six. Sorry. (laughs) But yeah, guys, make sure you listen. Um, You're not going to find sports coverage anywhere, better and better sports coverage anywhere in Ottawa or on the planet even, we'll say. We'll go that far. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, Make sure you like the podcast, share the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast. Donate on Patreon if you're so inclined, and we will catch you next week. Please make sure you stay healthy and Stay home. Have a good one, guys.